Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Goody are with me as usual. We'll be analysing all the major talking points from the Premiership and URC semi-finals, and we'll be speaking to legendary All Blacks strength and conditioning coach Nick Gill. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. How are we, lads? Firstly, we should say we're a lot better than Rob. It's a shame that Rob can't be here with us. He is here with us, but he's not got a microphone in front of him. He's just come back off his second stag do in two weeks, and he's been hanging out with Tyson Fury. Because he hasn't got a microphone, we can maybe just say what he's been up to. Mm. He's been partying, he's been down the town, he's been streaking naked, allegedly, down the streets. Of, is it, was it Lanzarote? Rob, give us a nod, or Tenerife? It was, I'm lip-reading Tenerife. Tenerife. Absolute grief. But if you were with Tyson Fury, like little Rob was, he said it was wild child. So he is hanging again. Producer Rob, we'll get you a mic next time, mate, but... You need to tell us some stories. And if there are no stories, just do what me and Goody do and just make them up. So, <laughs> Well, apparently Tyson Fury was buying him drinks. Yeah, apparently so. What, what do they have in Lanzarote? It's like hooch, is it? Lineker's. Do you remember Lineker's bar? Oh, gosh. It'll be like Carling, like Harsh Lager, Carling and Foster's. Yeah. Hooch. Foster's. Yeah. yeah. Now, Foster's are right. off. Foster's all right. Well, like Carling is proper... Carling's calf. Tenants as well or something like that. Oh, like, Tenants is all right. Tenants is a bit more crafty now, but Rob has been on the Smirnoff Ice and the WKD Blue. There you go. <laughs> can see it all around his lips. That is Mongrel Mob, isn't it? <laughs> when the WKDs are coming out, that is Mongrel Mob. When we were younger, what we used to do was banter. So we would have a pint glass and we tip like three bottles upside down and it. it was called a shimungu which was like a smirnoff ice which was the expensive one and then wkd blue and then like a red one yeah a red one or an orange one or whatever and it was like a rainbow color we you'd be walking around with this shimungu in your hand thinking you were the fucking dog's bollocks <laughs> actually in hindsight you look like a see you next tuesday but back in the day that's what we used to have and when i was skint i thought back through it so what we used to do have a night out called it was called third party fire and theft banter so we'd start off in the varsity we'd do two pints of carlin in there chop it and then we'd go to lloyd's next door and you'd get a pint of wine white wine and you'd chop it in one for a fiver and then that was you and it was one of them it was sink or swim <laughs> so <laughs> if you got out of the door of lloyd's alive then you were in for a hell of a night. If you're in the toilets like FNL Mike spewing your guts up, that was it. That was the end of the night. And the police station was just down the road. So there was three <laughs> options that you would take out of that. Similar to Rob's trip to Tenerife. How'd your week compare? Not bad. I had a golf day on Thursday by hook or by crook. My team won. I don't know how, because we got absolutely steaming around the golf course. Were you there with Andy Cole? Andy Cole. Yeah. Andy yeah, Andy, Andy Cole. Cole. He gets the ball and does fuck all. Andy, Andy Cole. I think he scored quite a lot of goals there. Yeah, he was there. Yeah, what was he like? Good lad, actually. Chris Robshaw was there. Luther Blissett was there and he got his OBE the day before. Who's he? Watford footballer, ex-Watford footballer, doing a lot of good work in the community. Ryan Sidebottom, what a name, cricketer. But yeah, a few boys and we ended up, my team won it. So uh, yeah, good day. Yeah, that was Thursday. Friday, I was down in Cleve. I've got to give a massive shout out to Cleve Rugby Club and all the lads there. I did their dinner on Friday night. There's old school rugby clubs and then there's Cleve Rugby Club. They're singing, peel your foreskin back. I've walked in, I thought it was a scene from like a zombie movie. I had a really good night with those boys, actually. Got to give a shout out to Clody, who is my body double, Andy Goode lookalike down at Cleve Rugby Club. He came up for a chop off, put him to bed, go back to school some and learn how to drink properly. Saturday, I was up in Tamworth for the Spartans Rugby Club. This 
is Sparta. Well, that's Sparta, but they're Spartans. Not as hard. Oh, okay. Not as hard. But that was a good one as well. So yeah, busy weekend again. I just need to get to the end of the season and I've got to go to Dublin this week. I say got to. I can't wait to go to Dublin this weekend as an EPCR ambassador for the Challenge Cup final, which no one really cares about, but the big one, Leinster against La Rochelle on the Saturday. So I'll have about 100 pints of Guinness over the weekend. Can't wait. What were you doing this weekend, Jim? All business, mate. Becca's birthday. All business. (laughs) (laughs) We had a night away. We had a night away. Who looks after the kids when you're away? Cookie's lovely wife, Mary. Uh, yes. There we go. When we got back, she was out the house within 20 seconds. So, oh. <laughs> albeit said it was all right with the four kids, but she was out in 20 seconds and we've not heard of her since. So, we had a night away. Yeah, stayed in a hotel in Edinburgh. Yeah, Beck's not drinking and Ooh. I've had a few. Yeah. I've had a few. I'm talking shite, apparently, about the podcasts <laughs> and what's coming up at the World Cup. And she said I was just talking absolute rubbish, which I do. And I've had a few beers, but it was nice. As I said, trying to have a bit of work-life balance. Yeah, enjoyed it. Nice weekend with the family. Are you guys looking forward to chatting to Nick Gill about how you can get in shape ahead of the World Cup? No. Well, I'm fairly in shape at the minute, Andy Rowe, but there are drastic measures need to be put in place for me partner in crime. So I'm hoping that something can be fixed. And Jim, that's why I said no. Am I looking forward to... Do you know what? Part of me is... To be handed a program, it's one of those things, you start it, you do about three of them, and then you just give up, right? Andrew, you've not only been handed a program, you've been handed a fucking lifeline here. <laughs> this is a life moment, a turning point in your life where you are not only going to be given a training program and a lifeline by one of the greatest strength and conditioning coaches to have ever walked the planet, you're getting given a bit of kit. It's going to save your life. Yeah, an amazing bit of kit. What bike? And if you guys need some inspiration, did you see... Kevin Sinfield over the weekend. Oh, I feel less of a human when I look at him. Uh, I do. And less of a man. Just you could be doing so much more with your life and what you do. And I say that being not down on myself, but we're talking about one of the greatest blokes, I think, that's walking the planet. Yep. We are lucky to have him in our space, which is rugby, right? And we wish that we weren't seeing this version of Kevin Sinfield, because we wish that MND didn't exist. We wish that Rob Burrow wasn't going through what he's going through. But you find me a more inspirational human and a showing of brotherhood, of love. I can't even put it into words when I saw that. And we've seen a lot of good things, haven't we, Andrew? Like people doing amazing things. Watching Sir Kevin Sinfield carry his best mate, his brother, over the line at the Leeds Marathon and taking him out of his wheelchair it was just I don't even know words can't describe it was unreal it was spine tingling and yeah, like like Jim said the most inspirational character park him as a rugby player what he achieved park him as a coach just as a bloke and a human as Jim said then human being there ain't many better on the planet if there is anyone you do sit there and you think like Jim said then you could do so much more but just sit there and watch him do what he does is and this isn't the first thing he's done he's done all these mad challenges all to raise money for MND and, you know, raise awareness. And obviously his best mate, his mucker that he played with for years and years and years. It's just inspiring. No, no other words for it. Absolutely inspiring. And what a human being. Yeah, yeah. Going on to the rugby, let's have a look at Saracens. 38-15 over Northampton. Gertie, you were you were picking two, uh, two away wins, weren't you? Well, I said there might be a chance. And there was a chance. And then Carl Dixon got involved. What? 
You reckon that was the chance? You reckon that <laughs> moment was the chance? <laughs> well, I think a lot of people looked at Saris and thought they've hit a bump in the road, obviously, since La Rochelle. Billy's injured. Then they didn't play that well a few weeks after. Then they sent the kids down to Bath and took 60. And you just never know, do you, how teams are going to react. And we spoke to Finn Smith, and I think Finn Smith convinced me that they were going to win because they were keen. And then I should have realised, when I saw Alex Mitchell be interviewed on BT Sport, and they were all on the piss the week before at David Ribbons' house, having a leaving do, I should have known then. Boys, mindset, not there. Mindset, not there. And then I looked. I should have looked even further and gone, who the fuck's the referee? And who's the TMO? And who is the assistant referee? Well, two assistant referees, Sarah Cox, I thought she was brilliant. The rest of them, absolute shambles. And then I'd have made my mind up that Saris were clear favourites and we're going to win the game. But You're not a fan of Carl Dixon, are you? He's just been picked by World Rugby to be a referee at the World Cup. I- it's nothing to do with being a fan of Carl Dixon. I am looking at his performance from the game at the weekend and I'm going to say that's the worst refereeing performance I have seen in a long, long time. I thought it was awful. There's a headline. There's a headline. Yeah, it starts off, and Stuart Terry's the TMO as well, starts off, that collision from Sean Maitland is 100% minimum a yellow card. Minimum a yellow card, I agree. And there is a line between, some people might say, it could be a red, you know, elbow to the face, all this stuff. Carl Dixon's like, oh, he's just mistimed it. When's that mitigation, pal? In any other scene, have you ever heard a referee say, he's just mistimed it, that's okay. Mitigation is he's mistimed it. No. And ironically, Sean Maitland goes on to score a try a couple of minutes later. And listen, Saracens, before we get into loads of little nitpicky decisions, Saracens were by far the better team. And I tweeted it. Saints were playing like a schoolboy C team. Like Alex Waller, your most experienced player, gives a penalty away, says, sorry, sir, gives the ball to Van Zyl, the scrum half, and says, go on, mate, have a try. Yeah, Saints were awful in that first half. And Saracens were exceptionally good but they were helped by some absolutely shocking refereeing from Carl Dixon. Some positive, though. Owen Farrell was on absolute fire. Worldy performance. Yeah, it was a world-class performance. It was a masterclass on every level. Yeah, I'll tell you that kick he's put through just before you carry on, Jim. Off his left peg, through someone's legs. (laughs) Like, ridiculous. You look at a lot of players, when they stick it on their wrong foot, it comes off the shin... It travels 50 metres further than it's meant to. It was absolutely perfect. He was on fire, Farrell. Do you see him fly in and smash people? Yeah. How are your shoulders, Faz? Well, they're all right because you've broken someone's ribs on the way through. He's got big arms, though, hasn't he? Not. He's got small legs. I mean, that's genetic, as we know. But he's got big old arms. But he was... Uh, he, I thought he was another level. If you think about what he's gone through in terms of injury, form, the pressure and everything of... Everything that's happened over the last few years, he's just raised his game. Like, he is out and out England's best 10 by some distance, I would say. But George Ford was class for sale, but we'll get on to that. We'll get on to that. But Faz was so good, he can he can have his foot in the stands and still offload it and it'd still be in play. <laughs> With I think Goody might have wanted Northampton to win no, this one. No, I didn't at all. Yeah, he did. I didn't. Yeah, he did. I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, he did. Listen, I don't like... I'm not bothered by Northampton. I'm bothered. As in, <laughs> I'm a Leicester lad, aren't I? So, you know, Northampton are rivals of Leicester as well. So I had no affinity to either team in that semi-final. But why aren't the best two referees refereeing the semi-finals? It should have had Luke Pearce on the, on, on the pitch refereeing that game. Why wasn't he? Well, apparently, I've spoken to someone at Premiership Rugby, and apparently you cannot referee a semi-final and a final. What? It's Luke doing the final, is he? Well, it's not announced, but that, that's what I understand whether it's true or not, I don't know. You've got four refs named 
in the World Cup lineup from England, which equals the most ever. So your pool's not that bad, is it? Just on that, Luke Pearce, where me and him are absolutely buttered in Exeter, we're going deep, as in to the point where he's convinced me that I could potentially be going to the World Cup as a referee and that he ain't going. He's like, I've got more chance than him. That's what it felt like. At the end of the night, I was thinking, he thinks I've got more of a chance than him. He was just down on his... He was on a down... He made a bad decision the week before. So he was always going. Maybe he was just playing funny buggers with me. But yeah, it is an interesting mix, isn't it? It's it's one of them. And some people like this and some people don't. I quite enjoy talking about the, the refs. Yeah. Maybe not as harshly as Goody has on Carl Dixon <laughs> just this honest, week. Just honest, yeah, you are. No, you are honest. Yeah. Okay, that's fine that you are honest. But I quite enjoy talking about the referees. It's what you... You know, in, in all sports, that's what you do, isn't it? They are centre of topic. And what we are finding now is a lot of the referees uh, are really good characters and they are quite receptive to interacting and coming on podcasts and, and having conversations with us. So I'm not saying that this is a reason why they should be picked to referee at a World Cup, but the fact that you've brought it up there, like people are talking about, aren't they? Like who should go? Sh- should he be refereeing? Like people that have potentially missed out. So when you actually look at the makeup of the referees, you've got an Englishman, you've got an Irishman, you've got a Welshman involved, and you've got a Scot... No. No, you haven't. Mike Adamson missed no. out. No. I'm not happy about that. There's no balance, in my opinion, at all. I'll take Mike Adamson over Carl Dixon. There you go. Okay. Well, I might have a word with the top table. I might have a word with John Jeffries, who's now involved, the big JJ, and Bill Beaumont, who is wide awake. He ain't been sleeping about... How long have been at World Rugby? Three months. He ain't been asleep for about three months. <laughs> i tell you the other thing they missed as well. The TMO, the shot clock on one of Faz's penalties. Gone. What's the point of having the shot clock and that law if you're not going to abide by it? It's a new thing that's been brought in, but nah, just let it go, lads. This is semi-final. Let it go. Mate, you're asking the wrong person. I'm an outlaw, as in stuff like that. Minute, minute and a half, two minutes, if it's Saracens. I don't, I don't really mind. Yeah. But no, there were some big performances from Saris, weren't there? First and foremost, when I saw Jackson Ray come out with his four kids and the emotion in the stadium, everything that he's put into that Saracens jersey, his last ever home game, that was spine tingling at the start of the game. You know, he probably didn't think he'd have that opportunity to lead the team out from a starting jersey. I thought he was great. Ben Earl, we were talking about Premiership Players of the Year last year and big shout out to Ollie Lawrence who won the award. Told you. But how did we not mention Ben Earl? And how wasn't he on the shortlist? Because Ben Earl in the Prem all year has been monstrous. Now he did have his hands on the floor a lot and then got the penalty. Don't worry about it, Carl Dixon. But he played the ref and he got away with it and he was monstrous. The turnovers he was getting from breakdowns, that's where the game was effectively won and lost, I thought. And he was out of this world, wasn't he? He was. Yeah, physically, the way that Saracens played, that it, it looked like a bit of the old school. Yeah. And the thing is around Northampton, and they were talking about it in commentary, it was quite obvious, really, wasn't it? Was you're not going to go through Saracens. I know you've got to earn the right to go wide. I just thought there might have been a bit more innovation from Northampton, a bit more kicking, whatever that bloody means. It's easy to say, like, a bit more kicking, but putting them under pressure in the, in the skies. And this is the thing when you play against Saracens, they are so good under the high ball they're the complete team and if they get you on counter attack then you bollocks either way so yeah I just thought Northampton's game plan just didn't look 100% how I would have approached it but that's credit to Saracens and how physical they were I suppose the first half they went against their kind of DNA second half when they were 21-3 down or whatever it was they showed their the way they play and their real DNA and they came back into it they closed the gap 
I think they close it up to, was it nine points they close it to? Yeah, after Mitchell's try. Yeah, Finn Smith misses the conversion to take the seven points. And then they're in the mix. They've fought their way back in from 21-3 down. They're right in the fight. And then Ian Tempest doesn't see Faz having a beer in the stands getting an offload away. That leads eventually to a try a few phases later via a couple of breaks. But how, how bad's that? You're in the stadium and you can see someone so far in touch. You, <laughs> you, can't, you, you, can't, you can't go back for it. And it's just ridiculous, isn't it? We got all these TMOs. There was a stoppage about two phases later and they went, oh, we can't go back because it's not for a try score. It can't be an intervention. And we can't go back because it's not from a try scoring play or from any foul play. I'm like, rugby's amateur as hell on stuff like that. Just get the decision right. Imagine the NFL, most watched game in the world. They go back and they find it. I thought it was in. I thought his foot was in. I yeah. just, yeah, it just didn't look out to me. From where I was sitting, just didn't look out. <laughs> well, Leicester's reign's over. Was it pretty much the game that you guys were expecting? They lost the sale, or you were you expecting that sort of game plan from both those teams? I didn't think Leicester would come as close, especially when Andre Pollard, who's been, you could say, their form player this season, and he pulls out just before the game. And this is no disrespect to Jimmy Gopeth, but we've seen him on the bench for the last few weeks covers 12, hasn't really played a huge amount at 10. And he comes in. Actually, Jimmy Copper played really well, to be fair to him, even at the age of 40. He was brilliant. He's, but- th- he's 39. Don't give him an- another year yet. He wants to play on for one more year. So just say he's 39. Say he's 35 and he'll get another contract. No, no, because I need to say he's 40 because that makes me feel as if I could still do it. So I'm <laughs> sticking with 40. Yeah. Uh, but he was, he was really good. But I mean, what a game in terms of physically... I thought with all the disruptions Leicester have had this season, I looked at the profile of the team. I looked at Manu Tuolangi and how he started that game as well. I thought Sale were going to win it comfortably. And you've got to credit Leicester. I thought Tommy Rafael was unbelievable. Uh, Jasper Visa as well. Just the way that they played. And to be fair, again, when you unravel it a little bit more, playing against a team like Sale, the way that Leicester play, when they've, they are physical in defence, they do target the breakdown and they've got the kicking game, you could see why they gave them a load of problems. But like, how good to see the Sale Sharks. And we've had Simon Orange, love Alex Anderson, everything they've been through as a club. You've got to think, 2006, last time they won it, there was talk of them going to the wall as well a few years ago. That was just rumours. And then you look at them now. Look at me now! Look at me now. I thought they were brilliant. So I am absolutely pumped to see Sale go through just because everything that they've been through, the work of Alex Anderson, and I thought it was a brilliant game. Yeah. George Ford was out of this world in terms of his game management. And when you look at a very close semi-final like that, you look at some minor differences, very small margins win your games in these tight ones. And George Ford was class. Obviously, the loss of Andre Pollard. Would have loved to have seen that matchup. Jimmy played well. Big thing for me, I think Wiggy got selection wrong. I really do. Harry Potter, I don't want to be harsh, but he makes errors. And he contributed to at least 10 points for Sale. And this is, being, this is really nitpicking. Really? Yeah, this is really nitpicking. So defensively, they're trying the first half. He's way too tight. Sort of flies out the line a bit. They get to the edge and score pretty easily in the corner. Then he gave a silly penalty away against, I think it was Carpenter, took him out in the air which was fairly marginal, but still, you just can't touch him. George Ford kicks that. There's 10 points. There was another one where he got done for being held on. I'd have gone. You're playing against Sale, right? You know the kicking threats are coming. Why did they make such a song and dance about Chris Ashton getting off his ban? As I said last week, if you remember, I thought it was only a yellow card when Jim's laughing at him for ending his career for a red. But why did they make a big song and dance about it and then not pick him? But also, you got Mike Brown, one of the best bomb diffusers in the world, 
and offers a hell of a lot, I think. I'd have picked Brownie and Freddie Stewart and Anthony Watson as the back three, or Ashy, especially knowing the aerial threat that was coming and looking back on what happened with a couple of errors. But then the other error, and I feel harsh saying this as well because I love the kid, Jack Van Portfleet, I think it was Rob Dupree put the kick through and then he takes it into touch a couple of metres out, doesn't he? Just got to let it bounce over the try line, dot it down, take the goal on drop out because what he did by trying to stop the ball going into the in goal area, he then gets bundled into touch and from that, Sale scored the crucial try, Aaron Reid, with the worldie of a pickup from George Ford's bounce pass on the outside. So that semi-final, tiny, tiny margins and real little errors get exposed massively. Yeah, they missed a couple of kicks to corner, didn't they? Well, this is the thing. So they're eight points down and they've got about five to go. You've got to get two scores. Atkinson decide to go for the corner. You've got to take the three there. That's game management. That's understanding of run the clock. You know, you've got five minutes left on the clock. Take the three points so it gets it back to a one-score game because you can effectively take five minutes to score a try and then you've got nothing to go for. And then he compounds the mistake of not taking the three by putting it dead. And credit to Sale, their physicality is off the charts. Manu, have a look back at the start of the game, right? And how he's trying to tackle people. And like, if he times it, and he, he timed one on Harry Potter from a kick chase really well. And he pulled out of another one, didn't he? I think it was on Anthony Watson as he went back for a ball. But... My God, the way he flew up a few times and was trying to exercise missile someone in the air, you knew he had the bit between his teeth, didn't he? He looked the best he's been in that game, as in the very best he's been. And it's funny listening to Alex Anderson talk. He doesn't give Manu a, a talking to before the game now. He just lets him go and does it. He doesn't want to get him too fired up. We saw what happened last time he got him fired up. He got red carded for elbowing. Saints, wasn't it? Yeah, against Northampton. But can I bring the tone down again slightly? Just just a couple of notch. Oh, here we yeah. go. Yeah, another big injury in the jackal. Ben Curry looked like he snapped his hamstring, which you don't want to see. You don't know. But Tom Rafael, jackling to the cow sheds and back, hard as you like. I know. And then can I be a little bit more negative? Oh, again, just once. I know. Just, yeah. I thought Coley's yellow card was harsh. And even though he's 65. I think this is a real issue in the game. So Aka van der Merwe has taken it in. He's obviously felt the head contact. And it was innocuous, but yes, it is letter of the law and GMO Goody says it is a yellow card. But then you see Aka van der Merwe on the floor, signal, gets the physio over, signals to John Ross, the captain, shoulder to head, shoulder to head, but then he doesn't go off for a HIA. So if there's enough in it for a shoulder to head yellow card, then I'm sorry, you've got to go off for a HIA, especially if boys stop appealing for stuff. I know what you mean, Andrew. And I'm trying to think back if we were playing. You would do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. I'm nails. I wouldn't do it. I appeal for everything. But I'm t- when you're talking HIAs and shoulders to heads and now you're actively trying to get players yellow carded or red carded, I ain't got time for that. I think mandatory, if there's a yellow card for a head to shoulder, and we're talking about safety of players, you've got to go for a HIA. It's just a bugbear of mine at the minute. When players are appealing for it because they've been hit in the head, you've either been hit in the head or you haven't. And if you have, get off for an HIA. I know I shouldn't bring the tone down. I shouldn't have brought it up, <laughs> should I? I'm talking about HIAs. I've got one more rant as well. Dupree comes off with a what looked like a broken wrist, broken arm or something to his lower area of his forearm. And they're trying to claim a HIA so they can get Curry back on. As he's, he's walking off holding his arm like this and Sale tried to claim initially it's a HIA. The team managers come over, all this stuff. The geezer looks slick as anything with his side parting. And then... Leahy, Leahy, the fourth official, done another job. And he's like, no, that is an injury to his arm. Curry can't go back on because he's been substituted. It's not for HIA. So you had to put O'Flaty on 
to make it 15 players on the field, not someone that's already been substituted. So rules is rules. Before we move on to the URC, just on Manu and his form, does that completely change England's chances at the World Cup? Yes, I think he is that important, that integral to England doing something. And look, days gone by, the 12 and having a player like that is everything for a team in terms of game changing. It has changed loads now. Like how many 12s do you talk about? If you think about World Rugby as a whole, when you think about Ireland, when you think about France, you don't think about the 12 specifically, do you? Like Ireland, we're talking about the, the whole team, complete whole team. We're talking about guys like Ringrose, talking about Mac Hansen, Hugo Keenan at 15, just to name a few. France, we're talking about DuPont. Yes, you do reference the 12s, but Manu's just that different point of difference for England like the way that he played I know it's a club match but if the physicality the power three men to bring him down even on the decoy runner you could say that Harry Potter bit in because he was worried about Manu taking that short line when he is fit what he can do in attack but also in defense in terms of game changing moments getting the crowd on the feet he is that important I think to England Borthwick must be loving life seeing him fit just shout your man if he's anywhere near you just shout your man lads you wouldn't fancy that, would you? Well, I did fancy it once. And like I've said, he sat me down and he probably had a nappy on. He was that young at the time. <laughs> Let's start with the URC upset monster. Grandma Roundtree. What a game of rugby. I've actually, and I haven't done this for a long time, since Scotland beat England for the ninth time in a row. I went back and watched this game twice. It was unbelievable. Munster, we spoke about them last week, going into the game with... Two, three of their best players missing effectively. So Snyman, who was injured, Malachi Fekatoa as well, and Nash. So they all got injured, and Conor Murray as well, in the lead-up to that game. We did wonder what team Leinster would field. They did field a largely second team. What do we know, eh? You went for the second team, didn't you, initially? And then I convinced you that it's probably going to put the first team out, and you went, yeah, I agree with you, actually. They will put the first did team I? out. Yeah. And then they went third team. And then they went to Shags. The under-14s played. <laughs> yeah, so they did go... Largely second team, but Ronan Kelleher was playing, Jack Conan, Charlie Naitai, who's coming back, who was brilliant, Robbie Henshaw as well, and Josh van der Fleer was on the bench who came on early for a nasty injury to Will Connors. The physicality, I don't think I've seen a club game. I'll be, it's a big statement. That is one of the best club games I have ever seen. The atmosphere, watching it on TV, was electric. It was brilliant. Munster very ballsy, the same as what Glasgow did against Munster last week. Another narrative in the lead-up as well was Jack Crowley, who got the winning drop goal, which we'll get on to. Started at 12. He's only played there like six times or whatever. But to a man, and I wrote a few names down, then I found myself just writing everyone's names down of the Munster players. Their work off the ball, the work rate, and that's where you can judge a team, right? So it isn't about line breaks and scoring tries and big collisions. Yes, you do have them things. But the work rate off the ball was just... Like, so I've not seen a team this year play like that. So they deserve to win. Leinster, even with their second team, had a couple of options. Ryan Baird scored an unbelievable try that never was. Jim, that was you against India. Same thing. It actually was. <laughs> very, very similar. What about the wheels on him? Oh, he's, he's an unbelievable athlete. I've been talking him up for the last three years. He hasn't quite burst through. He did at the weekend, but he got pulled back for the knock-on, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Jenkins is quick as well in the second row for his try. The story of the game for me was... Munster had 20 offloads and Leinster only had three, one of which they scored from. So that shows how good Munster's defence was, but how 
you probably think the tables are turning. You expect Lencer to offload loads, but it was all Munster offloading. All Munster in the first half, and then Lencer do what they do. Jason Jenkins scores a try in 38 minutes. They're going to the Sheds, leading 10-6. So you're thinking, oh, here we go. Munster come back out again in the second half. Loads of pressure early on. They get a penalty. You're thinking, just take the sticks. Go 10-9. No. Instead of going to the line-out, they go tap and go. And then friend of the show, Ty Burns, scores. And then they're leading 13-10. And then Lencer start going through the gears and start turning it on. And Joe McCarthy scores an unbelievable try as well. And then you're thinking, that's it. That's all she wrote. On that, Jim, the big thing was Frawley missed a relatively simple conversion, didn't he, from that try, McCarthy try, which ended up being so pivotal because Jack Crowley ends up getting the drop goal. And Jack Crowley gets all the plaudits for that drop goal, but Gavin Coombs again gets a turnover on his try line at like 77 minutes or something. I'm trying not to go too fanboy on them because Graham O'Rountree, but... He is now Graham O'Rountree, right? The way that Munster have been the last few weeks, beat the Stormers, beat Glasgow, beat Leinster, and then they're going to go back to Cape Town. All unbeaten at home. So they've taken the Stormers' record... Taking Glasgow's record and now Leinster's. All three teams, I mean, they had five away games on the spin, haven't they? How crazy is that? But here they are. And the start of their season was shocking, wasn't it? If we're being really honest, they were poor at the start of the season and people questioned it. Mike Prendergast has a massive impact off the field, coaching-wise, and how they attack. And now, here we are. Who are we backing? Graham O'Rountree, good friend. Or John Dobson, good friend. I can't say it because last week John Dobson called me out. He texted me and said, <laughs> I said, come on, Connor. So we'll keep it for a couple of weeks. We can make a decision. But the thing is with Munster, with this two-week break or the fact that there's a game, a Champions Cup final, the travel that's going to be involved for them getting down there, the fact that they'll potentially get some of their players back, the likes of Connor Murray, RG Snyman, if he passes his HIA as well, Nash coming back in, Malachi Fekatoa as well. They're going to go in fully loaded down to the Stormers. You look at the pitch down in there, we can get onto that game. It's going to be a very different game. But physically, to a man, if anyone wants to see a game of rugby, go back and watch that. It was absolutely phenomenal. The thing I loved about it as well, that drop goal that goes over Jim, he literally does the same celebration, finger in the air, like Ogara did years ago. And Ogara was an absolute legend in that red jersey. But he's literally mimicked his celebration when he slotted the winner. What a drop goal. What a pair of spuds. Absolutely massive spuds from Jack Crowley. We talked briefly about Leinster picking a second-rate team. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Is it disrespectful for the competition or is there a level of arrogance because they'd selected those teams in the past and, and done well? Do you know what? I kind of respect it a bit because I'll go back to our time at Leicester, right? So we played the Anglo-Welsh Cup and we got to the final of the Anglo-Welsh Cup, and the easy decision was to pick the first team. But a lot of the Shags had played every game to get to the final. And Pat Howard was the coach, and he picked all the Shags in the final, and we won it. And it was the right thing to do, because they got us to that level and got us to the final. Leinster, it's the same attitude. Leo Collin, who was obviously influenced by Pat Howard, he was part of that team at the time, he understood that. Those guys that played the game at the weekend, a lot of them have done all the donkey work to get to that final in the URC because we know some of the frontliners don't play very much in the URC. So when I looked at the teams, I thought fair play to Leo. He's backed his boys because there's, there must be a, a very hard motivation within that Leinster camp. And we spoke to people before Bernard Jackman talked about actually just getting to be able to train on Tuesday. You've got to motivate the players. So you can't all of a sudden get to a final or a semi-final and go, 
Yeah, lads, thanks for all your efforts all season. We're going to pick the big dogs now because that might drive a wedge. You never know, do you? So I respected him for doing it, but does he regret it now? Part of him would be yes, but part of him I think would be like, no, no, they got us there, so we better go and fucking win the Champions Cup this weekend because they may end up with nothing again. Andrew, that's the thing. That's the big issue that could potentially arise. You think against La Rochelle they don't win, and not that Clement and Leinster are the same, but these teams that start making the semis and the finals and they're dominant all the way through the season and then they lose that momentum, whatever. I mean, it, there was one point in it at the weekend. So spoken about the La Rochelle game a couple of years ago, then the final last year as well. It becomes an issue then, doesn't it? Because it becomes a thing. Like we're starting to talk about it now. This is the first time I'm questioning whether Leinster have got it at the knockout stages. And we've always said because they're so comfortable all year round. So really, like they're not tested, are they, week in, week out to go through when the pressure really comes on? You look at what Munster have had to go through over the last few weeks, all season, to get to this point. The psychological part to it and the psychology that goes into these games when you're in it and you're battle-hardened. Yeah. Like Leinster, where it's just like a training run. Like you watch them play, a lot of the moves that they do, the training park off first phase. I mean, this game, this Champions Cup game is... I know there's going to be a slight transition with Stuart Lancaster and Johnny Sexton going, but for the psyche, for the club, I think it's it's arguably one of their biggest games they've ever had. Yeah, and you chuck into that, they've won it once in 10 years, and how many times have we all said they're favourites? And then the other thing is, the last two times they've played La Rochelle in this competition, they've lost in knockout games. Yeah. You go back to 2021, that game over in La Rochelle... I know it was affected by COVID and all that stuff, but they got hammered there, didn't they, just before the Lions squad got announced. They got monstered, and then they lost the final last year. So you're, you're right. You're basically talking all Leinster fans out of believing their team are the greatest. No, I'm giving them a team tour. I'm giving <laughs> Leinster a team tour. I actually think Leinster win this, by the way. Well, we'll get to that later, shall we? Okay, I know. I don't, I've just got a bit excited then. <laughs> we spoke to Friendy about how tough it was going to be for Connacht over in South Africa. Bit of a step too far for them, do you think? Well, Jim just said if you want to watch a game of Ruggers, watch back the Leinster-Munster game. I'm going to say watch the Stormers-Connock game as well because it was unbelievable. Connock fly out the blocks, go into an 8-0 lead. What about Mac Hansen's footwork off that seed to, to get the try? Stands his winger up and off he goes. And they started really well, didn't they, Connock? But then... Marnie Leboc at 10, how good is he? Well, he was the difference, weren't he? Marnie Leboc really in the end. Yeah, David's on the wing was absolutely class. Marnie Leboc scores two tries. One, David's makes a break, busts over a tackle and then gets a stick offload away. And he's just saying thank you basically for Marnie Leboc putting his crossfield kick on the money about 10 minutes earlier. So the, the Stormers went into a big lead then, didn't they? And I think Connacht were a bit shell-shocked, but they fought their way back into the game. And it was getting close again, 24-20. And then the tries that Stormers and how they play, it's so anti-South African. And I mean that with the greatest amount of respect, because the way you look at South African teams, you think big forwards, big power game, kick the leather off it. Nah, Stormers play very differently, as we've spoken about. They're 24-20 up. They've got penalty advantage, but watch the seed from Duplessis onto Nell and then his footwork. They get up the outside and eventually Devet scores a try. That puts them 31-20 up and then back come Connacht. Rawston scored an unbelievable try. Watch some of the hands. Aki flicks it on, then the ball out the back and all this. It was just class from Connacht and you're thinking, this is an unbelievable game of rugby. The pitch wasn't great, but the tries that were being scored were on a different planet at times. Gets back to 31-25 
And it's Daly, isn't it, with the massive error from the kick. He's got all the time in the world to take it, drops it. Daimani picks it up. Ridiculous offload, number one. We'll come on to his second ridiculous offload in a bit, but my God, what a player Daimani is as well. It's a pretty exciting final now, isn't it? Because you've got two contrasting styles. It's almost like months to play finals footy the way that they play as well, isn't it? I'm very happy to see a Munster team, whether or not it was a Munster, a Leinster, a Glasgow, a Connacht, in the final, just to have that balance. And the fact that it's in Cape Town, you saw the reaction from the Stormers players. They thought, I think a lot of people thought, most people thought outside of Munster that the final was going to be in the RDS, the back garden of the Leinster players in Ireland. And the fact that they've got another home final with a team that is in form like a Munster, this is what we wanted from a neutral for the URC is to throw different teams into the mix. I know we got a bit of a shock last year by seeing the Bulls when they beat Leinster as well. The Stormers, current champions against the informed team. If you look at the games, and I mentioned it earlier on, Munster beat the Stormers in their backyard only three or four games ago. So they're going back and the narrative around that, the energy, the tickets that they've sold for the game. I imagine there'll be some travelling support from Munster as well. You know what? The level of the games. I, I, I spoke about the Munster-Leinster game, how good it was. Goody said... And I agree with him. The Connacht Stormers game was just as good in a different way. The level of the URC now is just going through the roof. And yeah, the final was going to be awesome. Where are the Dragons? I think they are probably five weeks into their <laughs> holiday. <laughs> but talking about the emotion, talking about Munster and how they play, the Munster way, watching Graham O'Rountree's interviews afterwards, first of all, he said he's getting a boat tomorrow to get to South Africa. So he's there in time. He's a liar. He'll be going business class. He's got to get his ears. He's got to get his ears on a seat somehow. He ain't wearing headphones, is he? Nah. That's if, he's in, if he's in economy, he ain't wearing them headphones. <laughs> he's eating them probably. Uh, the emotion of those interviews and just seeing what it meant to them. And he's actually the opposite of what you think a Graham Roundtree coach would be because he's like Mike Prendergast, the coach, has added so much in terms of our attack and we, he wants to back his players to go after tries and tries and tries, not kick the three the old school way. And they're going to have to do it again against the Stormers. The Stormers games are always high impact, high scoring, aren't they? They score a lot of points, so you've got to go there and score tries to beat them. But what a game it will be. Delighted for Munster, delighted for Graham O'Rountree. It was unbelievable. And then the Stormers, with their performance as well, we got a proper final on our hands, haven't we? Yeah, can't wait. Well, before we get there, we've got the Champions Cup final to just get out of the way. Repeat of last year's final. How do you see it going? Mate, you don't just get this out of the way, Andy Rowe. You go to Dublin. It's the Heineken Champions Cup. You have a couple of Heinekens, but then you pile into the Guinness and Blackcurrant as well. On Friday night, you go out to Copperface Jacks till 4, till 11.30, just in case. Uh, in the morning? Yeah, yeah. well, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you go again on Saturday. It's not getting out of the way. It's going to be an absolutely amazing couple of days. I don't know. It's a hard one to call now because leading into... Last weekend, I was like, well, Leinster, Leinster. But no, the Munster factor, the O'Gara factor, the fact that Leinster haven't beaten La Rochelle the last two times I played them in knockout rugby, the size of the La Rochelle team. I'm back in La Rochelle, quietly, quietly. But when I get to Dublin, I'll be like, Leinster all the way, lads. Get Where's the bar? (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to look past La Rochelle. And it is a one-off game. The cliche saying, Leinster wounded. I go back to my point. If they don't win this, really, where do they go? I mean, what what is it all about? What is all this talk and noise? A lot of it I've made in the lead up to the finals. What is it all about? Unplayable. Unplayable has been mentioned. It has. So maybe it's me. Put too much pressure on them. But rugby comes down to power. 
and size and speed and tactics and La Rochelle have got it all. And the big thing that they've got is the big thing. It's the big woolly little woolly. It's the power game. When a team is so big or an athlete is so big, it's the million dollar question. It's like Manu Tulangi. How do you stop him when he's in full flow? Well, you don't really. You just hope for the best and scream your man. Will Skelton's exactly the same. That like the kind of player that he is. And you think about the quality that they've got in their team, the likes of Gregory, Aldrit, Bugarit, at hooker as well. Bottier. Bottier. Oh gosh, mm. I've, I can't, I've left him to third or fourth <laughs> of the best players on the planet. Winnie Antonio. The Winnie Antonio, like, as in the names are going to start rolling off now. Raymond Rules yeah. on the wing as well. Kerr Barlow, who is on fire. Do you reckon Raymond Rules says rules is rules or not? And that's where his name came from. From back in the day at Leicester? Probably his dad. His dad was probably the rule master. He was like, look, Raymond rules is rules, Raymond. <laughs> yeah, so so look, we're reeling off the names now. I said that the turning point of Ireland, I felt, and Leinster was around that game against La Rochelle in the semi-final two years ago where they got absolutely blasted. Like James Ryan was made to look like a little kid hey. against Will Skelton. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. But that was a turning point for him as well. Yeah. Because it was that game, he, he didn't get picked for the Lions, was it? I think off the back of that game. Yeah. Single-handedly, I think. But then it turns out he couldn't go for personal reasons. So that's me being a bit harsh. So I revoke that statement, even though Goody's saying yes. I only read that recently. But yeah, it's going to be phenomenal. The other narrative around Ronan Nogara again, when it comes to Leinster, how much that he wants to win. Leinster, there's a small changing guard, a small, a seismic changing guard in Stuart Lancaster leaving to go to Racing 92 and Johnny Sexton, obviously not playing, but he's still there as a player, isn't he? So there's some big changes happening there. I can't wait. I just wish we got to this stage quicker. That's how I feel, but it just feels like a long road to get where we've got to. I think what Jim's saying is he wishes he was going to Dublin because it's going to be unbelievable. <laughs> I'll be there, Jim. I'll have a few Guinness and Black for you. Don't worry about it. Yeah, please, please. You didn't mention some other players. Uh, Brees Dillon at fullback, world-class. Jonathan Dante in the centres as well. Tackle him. Like When you actually look at the makings of this La Rochelle team, it's hard to say that they're not going to win it, right? But then you look at Leinster... Everyone will be talking about they've only won it once in 10 years. They'll be saying it themselves and they'll be trying to put that hoodoo to bed. And they've got, when you've got Caelan Miel Doris in your team, who is up for... Rested. Rested, up for European Player of the Year. Josh van der Fleer obviously will play as well. The names that you mentioned, you'd hope that Sheehan's back in the mix. You hope that Ty Furlon's back in the mix. Andrew Porter. Then you start talking about the Leinster team. Gary Ringrose in the backs. You've got, um, there's rumours James Lowe's going to be fit again. Fullback, you're going to have Hugo Keenan. You know, you start looking at that. Henshaw in the centres. It's an Ireland team, isn't it? Oh, it's going to be phenomenal. Test match intensity and everything that we hope for is going to deliver. We just hope it doesn't come down to a Yako Piper decision. There's obviously history there in Ireland. Why so negative about referees again, No, Jim? I'm not. You started it at the start of this podcast. I'm just piggybacking yeah. you. Hey. I said that Carl Dixon cost Saints the game. He, he didn't, he didn't. But let's not be negative about referees because Wayne O'Barnes is doing the Challenge Cup final on the Friday night. Well, I've seen a snapshot of a documentary behind the scenes with the referees, which is going to be unbelievable. And Jaco Piper is involved in that. And... Having seen that, I'm a big fan of his, I'll be honest with you. So I hope that he goes well in the final, to be honest with you. So do I. Big fan. Predictions for the final. Who's winning by how much? I think Leinster win by three. Well, it went to the wire last year, didn't it? It was the last play of the game that they eventually scored off to win it. La Rochelle did. I'm going to Dublin. It's in Dublin. I want a drink for free all weekend. I want them to allow me to put Blackcurrant in my Guinness 
even though it's Heineken. I'll have a couple of Heineken. I'll stick Blackcurrant in my Heineken as well. I'm going to go Leinster by two. Oh. And then when I get there, I'll be like, lads, La Rochelle are massive. I'm back in La Rochelle. <laughs> <laughs> Joining us now is a man who's been with the All Blacks for over 200 tests and two World Cup wins as strength and conditioning coach. Nick Gill, how are you, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Gilly, class to have you, mate. I'm calling you Gilly just because I've done a bit of research and that's your nickname. But yes, I'll get the <laughs> thumbs up. Absolutely. We are going to be good mates at the end of all this. So I'm going to start off by calling you Gilly. Andy Roe gave a great intro of what you do, but you've been around the block for a long, long time and seen huge amounts of success. Play it up. Don't be humble. Just t- talk it up in terms of what you do. <laughs> yeah, I suppose my job's to... Um make sure that the guys that the players are ready to really rock and roll on, on at kickoff time each week so injury prevention working with the medical team getting stronger getting faster getting fitter working closely with the coaches planning out training schedules and sessions etc so you know working with the whole staff as well as all the athletes to to make sure we really come kick off and Guinea, obviously you've been involved uh, as we said over 200 tests and two world cup wins and all this stuff which is amazing what i want to know is and i used to have as a player, a love-hate relationship with the head S&C guy. Like, you hated him sometimes because you're beasting the life out of the boys, but then you love him because he'd be the one that grants you a day off or says, lads, it's an easy session today or whatever. And basically, you've got the power to be the player's best mates or the worst enemies. And is that the case over in New Zealand as well? Is it the same everywhere across the world? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's sort of, um, it's definitely a love-hate thing, isn't it? But, <laughs> you know, in my time, I've been, I've been working with rugby players for, I don't know, 20, 24 years now, 25 years, and... And I think that the players have changed a lot. You know, nowadays, at least with the guys I work with, you know, I actually have to try and hold guys back rather than push them hard. Um, oh, it has changed, then. It's definitely <laughs> changed. And, you know, and I think we've seen that with a lot of pros that, that finish up, they carry on staying fit because they they end up loving staying fit and getting strong and being lean. And, and so, whereas when I started, it was it was very different. You know, you it was getting boys, just, just getting them to run a little bit was tough, you know? So you were definitely were dealing with people that hated exercise, but it's very different now. Goody says that there's a love-hate relationship. I'm sure the partners or Goody's partner absolutely loved the fitness coach because he'd come home lean. He'd be the leanest <laughs> that he's ever been. He could see his knees. He could touch his toes. So you, you're, you'd be an absolute godsend. But just give us the lay of the land in terms of the athletes at the minute. Back in the day, and I re- only retired five years ago, but there was what was called a fat club. You're not allowed to say fat anymore in the UK. Apparently, it's a, it's a term used as abusing someone. But is, is there a fat club? Does that exist in the All Blacks or not? It did. It did when I started. It, it doesn't anymore. But it does still exist in most clubs You know, around New Zealand. The, the professional clubs still have groups like that but in the all blacks generally we have a few people that we're trying to maybe drop a little bit of we call it hinu hinu's moldy for fat we drop a bit of hinu and but generally it's dietary intervention as opposed to getting thrashed you know the all blacks live in hotels we we don't send players home they're always together so we sort of can regulate things a bit more and it's very different isn't it for an snc coach obviously the players go off to the Hurricanes and the Crusaders as well in season and then build up to being with the All Blacks for months on end and that's where you have your big impact. And obviously with the World Cup coming up in September, you've got a big spell now with all the guys when they get into camp where you can have a real difference. What's it like for you when they're back with their clubs? Do you still have control over them? Because obviously everything is sort of pyramid situation in New Zealand around the rugby and New Zealand sit at the top and everyone works towards that goal, don't they? Yeah, it's probably a little bit different. I go to the Blues next week. I'm there for a couple of days. Week before last, I was at Crusaders. Week before that, I was at the Chiefs. So I sort of travel around a bit and 
catch up with players and staff and it's not so much that I don't have control but I, I suppose we're all trying to have influence aren't we so there's influence and it occurs through relationships so I'm pretty good mates with with all the staff and, and most of the clubs and a lot of them I've known for a long time because I've been in their, in their roles for a long time too so you sort of form pretty good working relationships where hey you can have your own views and and, and have your own sort of I suppose ideas for players and end of the day the players in the middle so we're just trying to do what's best for them. Gilly, when I look at other sports, and I'm a big fan of combat sports and American sports, the term I always use is athletes. Like, oh my word, look at these athletes. And I think back to rugby players, and you could arguably say some of them are the ultimate athletes. You've worked with the ultimate of the ultimate. Can you just give us a snapshot of some of the best athletes and best players that you've worked with from a strength and conditioning point of view, where you're like, in the kindest term, this guy's a freak. Yeah, <laughs> there's been a few, eh? Like, there's been a few, and for different reasons, I suppose. And it's a pretty common question. But you're right, like, some players possess all the physical attributes that would allow them to be really good at anything, you know, except maybe marathon running. Um, but but generally, you know, a lot of a lot of athletes, whether they're loose forwards or, or midfield backs or even outside backs, you know, some of them can run like the wind, can step on a dime. They can go all day without slowing down get them in the gym and with no effort they can move big big loads so people I think of would be familiar to people up there you know Victor Vito was a bit of a freak big lean powerful fit reasonably fast for a big man probably got a bit slower over the last few years but um Richie was slow and weak but man he had a big <laughs> engine you know and he's gone into endurance sports um Bowden Barrett you know like he's a bit of a He's a bit of a weapon, you know, like he's, um, I think he's in his early 30s now and he's still running fast, but, you know, he's been fast his whole career without doing any speed work, but he's extremely fit. Who else brings to mind? Jose Gear, you know, we used to do horizontal jump testing and he used to just jump like, um, it was almost flying, like he'd just jump. I can't remember the distance, it was it was a wee while ago, but a good three or four metre standing broad jump and it would just be all this time in the year yeah like what you used to see Michael Michael Jordan do Brad Thorne wasn't necessarily a freak in terms of what he had put out but just the fact that he had a very simple I suppose plan and he stayed the same strength and size for I don't know 20 years as a pro and never got hurt you know so I think in, in rugby because of it because it's a combat collision sport you know the, the the most freaky thing for me is how the players that don't get hurt you know, over a long career, they just put their body through, you know, who knows what. Some of those collisions are pretty massive. And the freakish thing I see is just how they get up and do it again for 10, 15 years. Some guys just don't get hurt, blessed. Are you seeing anyone come through at the moment, any young gun where you're like, oh, I'm excited to work with this cat? Fletcher Newell, uh, our, our prop that came through last year, that I, I think he might have played nine or 10 tests for us last year. But young kid, 22, prop. Squatted, I think he squatted 270 on in January, you know, full full range squat. So strong young boy, I shouldn't say boy, strong young man, but with a big engine. And that's really unheard of. You know, not many, not many big boppers, I call them, um, can move load as well as run well. So um yeah, he's he's got an exciting future ahead of him. Jim, could you could you even squat seventy, let alone one seventy or even two seventy? I don't know. <laughs> Thinking back to your Andrew, career. back in my day, back in my day, I was strong as an ox. I was up to about 110 kgs. 110, there we I go. I was. Yeah, I jump as knees. Uh, Gilly, with the props, right, we're seeing a massive shift in terms of the athleticism. I actually look at some props and think they are 
the ultimate rugby athlete. Can you just give us a snapshot on some of the output of, of these players and maybe just finish it off with who you think out of the 15 would be the best athlete? I think the best athlete we've got at the moment is um, Rico Ioane. You know, he's midfielder, 100, I think he's about 107 kilos, fastest guy on the team, can do a bronco and a yo-yo like as good as anyone else that might be 80 or 90 kilos. And then in the gym, he's extremely strong too. So he's probably the, the supreme athlete if you were talking about size, power, speed, endurance. I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying he, he, he doesn't have a bit much of a step on him, but... um. But I mean that we're not talking about you know that being a, a form of athleticism. But no, Rico's pretty freakish. Yeah, I mean I agree with you that that props are becoming. I mean they've always been a rare breed and they've always been a bit freakish in terms of their their strength and the need to be big. But the amount of work they can get through now and the footwork and even the skills that some of the props have now is very different to ten years ago. I mean. Ten years ago, you'd you, you'd try and leave props out of passing drills because they just ruin it all the time. <laughs> Very true. Whereas now they're, they're a crucial part of any attack attack pattern that that team sort of employs is, is is using the, the tight forwards as a as a as another person to draw and pass. You know, so yeah, they're definitely changing. And one of the things you mentioned earlier, obviously, Richie McCaw, probably the greatest ever All Black to do it. You said he's weak and slow. I've never heard anyone talk about Richie like that, which is amazing. <laughs> Did you say that to his face and was he all right with it? You know, I, we never, I never said it quite as bluntly as that, but I've said that to a few <laughs> But it didn't need to be said because his mantra wasn't about running fast in the first 10 minutes, but but just not slowing down in the last 10 minutes. And and that's where his his ability shone through. If you, if you watch a lot of tests where he had massive influence, it actually occurred in the last quarter of the game. Everyone else is getting tired. Everyone else is getting sore. And he just didn't stop. And so his speed at the end of a game was probably better than most. But, you know, his, his ability to move 10 metres wasn't flash. Yeah, and that's, and that's where often it's a bit of education required for younger players is you can have all the physical attributes, eh? but if you read the game a bit better, um, you'll be in the right spots without being fast. So that was what he probably um, mastered as he got older. Amen to that. That's how I played. <laughs> me too me too very similar uh, you know that golden generation Gilly and there's been a few right I, you've been involved for so many years but for me the golden generation of the All Blacks maybe it's because I played them and we got 50 points against us twice because the likes of McCaw like Ali Williams Dan Carter Joe Rockagoslo on the wing like the, the list is endless of them players was that the golden generation and the question is is like your career highlights working with such a, an iconic team yeah, no, I definitely was, you know, that, that decade from about, I want to say, the back end of 09 through to the 2019 World Cup was a pretty special 10 years. You know, and you mentioned those players, you know, you, you got the Man Nonus, oh. um, Kevin Mialaros, Andrew Hawes, Tony Woodcox, you got you got some amazing guys that came through there. And and I think the, the probably the highlight for me, <laughs> the highlight for me probably would have been the last couple of weeks at the 2015 World Cup. You know, it was a home World Cup for England and they got knocked out and we ended up moving into their flash digs. <laughs> we got to hang out in their flash digs and prepare for a final and, and we won the final, obviously. And and that was sort of a sign-off to, uh, I think, five or six of those those guys you mentioned. That was their last game for the All Blacks. And, you know, some of them, it was their second World Cup win in a row, uh, one in home soil, one in foreign soil, which hadn't been done. And, you know, it was pretty emotional time, pretty sad and exciting time to, to be able to send that group off with such a cool win on foreign soil. 
and, and taking the World Cup back to England's digs. It was pretty cool. Very nice. <laughs> very nice. Not jealous at all. Obviously, you mentioned the World Cup, then it's World Cup year. Preparations are going to start and ramp up over the next few months. What do they look like for the All Blacks? What are the expectations? Because ultimately, everyone's talking about Ireland and France as the two best teams in the world, which for New Zealand not to be in the picture from an outsider's point of view is bizarre. Does that hurt from the inside the camp to see that you're not kind of mentioned in the same breath? Well, I mean, obviously it always hurts not being number one in the world because that's what we strive to be. But we're reasonably excited about the progress we made last year. Back into last year, we made some great progress. And if it wasn't for a bad 10 minutes against England after, you know, with 14 men, we would have been really happy with the back end of the year. And I suppose, you know, we've got an exciting time ahead because we've got a massive challenge, don't we? Um, going to France, France being number one or two in the world, Ireland having a just amazing last couple of years. So, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't hurt. It just It's just a challenge that we obviously would like to overcome and, and, and rise to. So, yeah, I can't wait. Some of the form of some of the All Blacks at the start of the season, obviously the World Cup's quite a few months away, but the media kind of jump on the All Blacks quite early on in Super Rugby. Is there a conscious decision to say to the guys, just take it easy for a few months, don't start Super Rugby with a hiss and a roar and just work your way into the season? And maybe there's a message for the New Zealand public a little bit there to take it easy as well? I mean, there's definitely not a verbal message given to anyone like that. You know, there's no All Blacks at the moment. We don't have a team. You know, there's a team picked in in June. Everyone is playing for spots. And I think that you're right, form is not great for some players right now. But, you know, at the end of the day, the talent will shine through as the pressure and the, the magnitude of the challenge or magnitude of the games in Super Rugby increase. And we see it all the time. I mean, the difference for All Blacks at the start of a season compared to the other players is that they've they've only had a month of rugby before they've started, you know, and so it does take them a while to get back into the groove physically as well as technically, tactically. So um, New Zealand public's pretty unforgiving though, right? They want them to be playing out of their skin from day one for the whole year and they don't want them to have rest. They don't want them to be to be managed and looked after. They don't think there's, why would you sacrifice the form and super to, to win a World Cup, you know, whereas... I'm sure they wouldn't mind a couple of bad games in Super if it meant we won a World Cup. So, you know, there's a there's an element of um, doesn't matter how much education goes on in the public, they're pretty demanding and scathing of with the players aren't looking good. I'm going to ask a ridiculous question now, but I think for the listeners, and we've got some Kiwi listeners as well and expats around the world as well, how important is winning the World Cup for the All Blacks? Because you look at what you've done in the past, you've tasted it, and I think once you've tasted it and you've understand the enormity of it me and Goody haven't even come close to doing it how important is it to win the World Cup oh it's the most important thing that we play for so you don't need to talk about it the players on a slow burn at the moment you know building towards the World Cup it's just it's the ultimate for an all black it's like the Olympics for for any other athlete it's a it's a four-year event you only get one or two cracks at it in your whole career yeah if you're lucky and so you know it's the pinnacle you know, we play for two really important trophies. The, the the most important one is the World Cup, and the second most important one is the Bledisloe. And the Bledisloe Cup is just as massive, but but it's not a four year pinnacle event. We play for it every year. Just going back to the the training while we've got you here, because Jim's always talking about how he's a world champion and on what bikes. Are what bikes are a big thing for you guys and in, in the All Blacks? Do you guys use them a lot? So you see them on the sidelines quite a bit, but is that a big part of the training program? Yeah, it has been for it has been for a while. Um, you know, like we talk about, I suppose, how the athletes have changed in time, and we talk about the need for 
the big boys to be fitter and more mobile and we talk about losing body fat and things like that but they've been a tool i've used for probably 12 14 years in the all blacks um we've had what bikes with us and they're massively important for me to be able to get more more fitness gains without any risk of injury is probably the easiest way of putting it so way of getting some really solid energy system development really good conditioning um with low risk are you hearing this andrew low risk no weight going through the joints all i heard was lose body fat that's all i heard I need help, basically, Gilly. Yeah, Gilly, because on that, we were in Hong Kong a few weeks ago and we played a charity game and there was a few Kiwis actually involved in it. We know that Sean Fitzpatrick is involved with the Laureus sport. He wasn't there this time, but Goody took over the mantle as captain of the sports Laureus team and I was captain of the My Name's Doddy team. And there was an, there was like this big roar and laughter in the stadium when we had our rugby jerseys on because... What Goody said to me, it was his belly, but it actually wasn't. He had two others that were coming over at the side. And he said to me, quote on quote, he said to me, Gilly, I need help. And I said, well, look, mate, we're going to have one of the greatest strength and conditioning coaches on the podcast. We're going to do an activation with what bike? The time is now. Do you think there is help for a 53-year-old 20-stone Andy Good to be able to lean up on this what bike or not? Oh dear! Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And we talk about a love-hate relationship. I've got a watt bike in the garage, and it's very much love-hate. You know, I I hate getting on it, but I love what it can achieve or help me achieve. So there's definitely hope. I think. Yeah, you can send me a plan. That means I'm going to lose body fat and shift a bit of timber as well. Then, Gilly, what do you think Goody should expect in his first week on a watt bike? A really sore ass. <laughs> <laughs> I might buy one of those gel, you know, those gel seats that just help you out a little bit. Is that is that not play on or not? No, that's not play on on a what bike. Leave the seat. Just buy yourself some lycra, lycra shorts, <laughs> yeah, with a big padded padded insert in there, and you'll be you'll be away. And in New Zealand, I don't know what they have if they have it over there, but in New Zealand we have this cream that you can put on. It's called butt butter. Get some of that to lather that up between the cheeks, mate, and that'll look after it. There you go. I don't have to use that on the bike either. Sometimes I use that day to day. Probably got lots of that. So, Goody, what's um, what are you looking at for this plan, mate? What are you? What are the next steps from here, mate? What do you want me to do? Well, as soon as my walk bike gets delivered, I need to lose ten kilos. That's my plan. I don't know how I go about it. I've got, I've got to sort the diet out as well. But training on the walk bike is going to help me no end. I think. Good, good, because that's the thing, eh? Like, I, I want to know. I actually want to know what you're eating too. So, I think I want to know what you're eating, and I want to know how much time. Oh, I'll get you to send me a three day snapshot of what your nutrition looks like. Um, <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, Gilly, does eating include drinking as well, though, doesn't it? Like eating and drinking are the same things, right? <laughs> just to let him know. There's some creative ways we can address that. Like I'd never tell you to stop having a beer, but you just got to earn the beer, right? So yeah, it might be ten minutes as one beer, sort of thing. So ten, ten minutes—that's about four hours I've got to do for a night out, then. <laughs> and what about you, Jimbo? I do want to put on weight, so I'm 118 kgs, can you believe it, of just pure power and bone. So I do want to put on weight, but also, I know you're not going to get that on the Watt bike, so I would love to get challenged and see what the lads in the All Blacks are doing, see how far, and put my name to it and show Andrew, show the world that actually at the age of 40, that I've still got something in me, because I I love the Watt bike, always have loved the Watt bike, but I'd love to see what the other lads are doing. So you're more interested in some fitness challenge, eh? You want to actually take on a couple of the boys' records or standards that they achieve in different yeah. levels. Okay, cool. Please humble him. He's full of shit day in, day out. Please humble him. All right, let's see. <laughs> I'm putting my pressure on myself. I reckon I can take a few of them. All of them. Okay, well, let's see. We'll definitely dig up some some records and throw them at you and see how you go, eh? 
Oh, you can't dig up some. You can't go back to Richie McCaw of them days. Like I was thinking, like now the power athletes <laughs> digging them up is going to be even harder. Tell you what, the power athletes now they're going to they're going to really scare you. What they do, Patrick Tupolotu, look out, Cody Taylor. Wow, you're in trouble, Jim. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> awesome. It sounds easy. It sounds easy. Look forward to the challenge, and um, we'll keep you posted. Eh? All right, Gilly. Hey, thank you very much for joining us and coming on the show, mate. Really, really appreciate it. No sweet, no sweet. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me, eh? Cheers, Gilly. Yeah, Gilly, class, mate. Looking forward to the World Cup, mate. Good luck. Thank you. Cheers, fellas. Best of luck. Cheers, Gilly. Top, top lad. Bloke. Yeah, top lad he is. Well, I don't know. We'll find out if he's a top lad. No, he is a top lad, but I'm also... Very, Lifesaver. I'm very nervous, Jim. Very nervous. He said he's going to send me a load of sessions. But hopefully I can shift some timber, Jim. And you, as if you reckon you can take down some of the All Blacks. Oh, here he is. Andy Rose laughing Give now. Give me Cody Taylor. Line him up. No, no, didn't ask for any of them. All right, there he is. We will see. You will be surprised. You're welcome. I do think that you're an animal or less of an animal than you used to be on the Watt bike because you used to be a good animal. But now you've said the thyroid, your hair's falling no, out. I'm good. No, no, look at me. I've put on three kgs in the last two months mate I'll put on three kgs last fucking weekend (laughs) (laughs) my hair's gone my thyroid I'm gluten free I've always got the shits I've got a massive pile hanging out my bottom there's no (laughs) that's not a pile that's a tail (laughs) there's no way you're beating Brady Retallick at anything Andrew I just want to see you get on the bike mate (laughs) Gilly we'll see you on the other side brother if I'm alive Jim they must be getting excited up in Glasgow I think they are mad for it. And you know what? Look, I don't want to downplay it. Glasgow have got an opportunity. Last time a Scotland team was in a final. It's been a very long time. There's been a a lovely, lovely shift over on the West Coast. I wasn't sure whether Franco Smith was the right guy. You look at the rugby that they've been playing this season, ran Munster close if it wasn't for the red card. And they get an opportunity against the Galacticos of old Toulon I know they're not quite the same team but I genuinely think Glasgow win this game I do I think they are the complete team I really do so I think with the likes of Sione Tupolotu is he going to go Hugh Jones at 13 Stafford McDowell start at 12 yeah he's got to has to yeah he does yeah so you've got Jack Dempsey at 8 who's brilliant does he bring Sione Vialanu in who's been carving up as Tong and John all season you know, British and Irish Lion, Ali Price, does he start at nine or George Horn? And the fact that there are selection headaches for Franco Smith shows you the quality and depth that Glasgow have got. The brand of rugby that they play, they can score tries. They've got a great driving lineup, albeit it didn't function great against Munster. Do they take the post when they're on offer? I think they do. I think tactically they change the way that they play. But this is massive. Look, the Challenge Cup is we take the piss out of it a little bit. You do. I do. I do, but no, not this time because it's big for Glasgow this and going into a World Cup as well, having teams that are winning. Edinburgh haven't done a huge amount this season. Glasgow are flying the flag for Scottish rugby and things are looking good there. I think they beat Toulon at the weekend. I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go Toulon. And the reason is it's Sergio Parise's swan song in there. He hasn't got named in the Italy squad. He's on fire. He looks a million dollars with his tan. He's going to rock up in aviators. He's got the kicking game as well. He's got Owen Farrell's kicking game, if you need it as well. Putting grubbers through for tries. They've got some class. Obviously, bigger at 10. Do they go with him at 10 or do they go with Ehio West, who won the Champions Cup with La Rochelle last year? Baptiste Serran at 9 is class. They've got size as well. Their back line, Duncan Payawa at 12 and Nyatha Levu at 13. Nyatha Levu is an absolute freak show. 
And I mean that as the greatest compliment. Gavin Villiers on the wing. So they've got so many threats. And then they've got another winger, Wynacolo, on the other wing. Just ridiculous. Cheslin Colby's back as well, lads. Yeah. Oh, gosh. All right. Hang on. <laughs> Can you change your mind, I might change it. Yeah, you say that, mate. Cantillary, Sebastian Cantillary on the wing for Glasgow is carving up. I don't think he's quite Cheslin Colby, though. But It's going to be a great game. Can't wait to watch it. I hope Toulon win, just because of Sergio Parisi. And he deserves to finish with a trophy. And Toulon, I don't think they've ever won this one. They've won the big one, but every time they got to a final, they were big favourites last year against Lyon in Marseille, pretty much their hometown, lost. And, you know, they lost it a few years ago to Cardiff as well. So I'm back in Toulon. I reckon it'll be close, entertaining game. Both teams play a hell of a brand of rugby. I'm going to go Toulon by five. All right, then. Let's finish things off with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, we're going to start off when we mentioned him earlier. Sir Kevin Simfield. He will be a sir. He's got to be a sir by the end of the year. Doing the Leeds Marathon, pushing his best mate, Rob Burrow. And then that scene at the end, carrying him over the line. A big hug, a big kiss. It was absolutely spine-tingling. So, so Kevin Sinfield gets the biggest of shout-outs on the good this week. Uh, Wayne O'Barnes gets a shout-out. Luke Pierce, Jack Makepeace and Tom Foley were the refereeing team, as well as Jamie Leahy, the fourth official. Thought they were absolutely outstanding as a refereeing team on Sunday for the second semi-final sale against Leinster. So big shout-out to those boys. Uh, Leon get a shout out in the goo this week Jim do you know why why well they were 28 nil down at Stade Francais in the top 14 they pulled it back to 31 all which has now given them a buffer over Bayonne to qualify in the top 6 so they're getting humped at half time hell of a comeback to draw 31 all but they're now in 6th spot which means they should probably qualify for the barrage because they play Bayonne at home next week so big shout out to Leon the Saracens get a shout out in the goo of course they do very dominant at home the whole story around Jackson Ray's finale, Owen Farrell out of this world, Van Zeele at nine, redonkulous. They were defensively on form as well. So Saracens get a mention of the good. Sale get a mention of the good as well. Their first premiership final in 17 years. A packed out AJ Bell Stadium. They were on fire. The physicality, the defence, George Ford at 10, is kicking, was brilliant. Fully deserved the win. Small margins, but outstanding to see the passion coming out of the north as well. So big shout out to Sale. But the good this week, of course it does. It goes to Munster and Jack Crowley and Graham O'Rountree. Five away games on the spin. They dispatched the unbeaten home records recently of the Stormers, the Glasgow Warriors and now Leinster. They're in the URC final. A brilliant performance. And Jack Crowley, monster spuds to drop the goal to win it and to take Leinster's unbeaten record at the Aviva away from it as well. So brilliant work from all the monster boys. The bad few bits of bad. Breathe, me old breath, Jim. Gone. Yeah. Yeah, gone from the top 14. Confirmed as relegated at the weekend. They lost at home to Cast, so got it for my old team. But they got to go. What else was bad? Luke Cowan-Dickey, some bad news this week. He had his contract cancelled or not fully signed and gone through with by Montpellier because of his neck injury. So bad news for Luke Cowan-Dickey, but fingers crossed he pulls through and those nerves recover pretty quickly because Sailor interested, which is good news for him. So fingers crossed he gets something sorted there, but bad news on the Montpellier front. And then some sad news as well, coming out of New Zealand actually. Billy Guyton passed away over the weekend who played a load of Super Rugby for the Blues and the Crusaders and a couple of other teams as well. Real sad news that he passed away over the weekend. So our thoughts are with his family and friends. But unfortunately, the bad this week has to go to... Where am I going, Jim? You're going to go referee-based. I've just got a feeling. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yes, I am. The absolute shambles of a refereeing performance from 
Carl Dixon, Ian Tempest, you're involved as well, and the TMO, Stuart Terridge. You just missed it all, lads. Stuart Terridge, he's not even sat down yet. He's having a poo pre-match, and he's missed the kickoff. So he's having some. Ian Tempest is thinking about drinking beers while Faz is in the stands drinking a beer with his foot in touch. Not just any beer. It was a wolf pack. It was so a wolf I don't pack. Mind. Yeah, it was a wolf pack. <laughs> uh, and then Cole Dixon, you've had an absolute shocker. Just inept, really. So um, I feel a bit... All right, just on that, he's getting a crate of wolf packs sent to Cole Dixon. <laughs> yeah, he needs Done. it. He needs it. But there we go. The bad goes to the referee and team from that first semi-final, Not including Sarah Cox because she was good. Maybe there's something in that. The worst referee gets a crate of Wolfpack. Like, there as you in, go. I feel, yeah, there we go. There's a great segue of a sponsor. Positivity so, can, around negativity. Exactly. Negativity breeds positivity. So, Carl Dixon, you get an hundred cans of Wolfpack sent. <laughs> it's old. It's gone off, but you're having it. Out of date. <laughs> <laughs> and then the ugly, two bits of ugly. We'll start off with Guillaume Ducat for a dangerous tackle on Moafana for Pooh at the end of the game when they got absolutely spanked at the weekend against Bordeaux. And then... Dalton Papali, ee, 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 ee. No, you don't go high on Richie Moranga, do you, Andy Rowe? No, you don't. And the Blues, not having it. They lost to your Crusaders, Andy Rowe. Yes, they did. But anyway, Dalton Papali, you're getting the ugly. Leave Richie Moranga alone. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got some shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, we got a few shout-outs today. So the first one goes to James Sharrett. He's had surgery to remove a tumour from his stomach after it spread from his lymph nodes. He's in hospital for the next 10 days or so. So a message just sending positive vibes for myself and Andrew Good and the rugby pod. Yeah, a massive message of support for Harley Cordron of Wooden Old Boys RFC. Harley is a sports-mad 12-year-old who has sadly been diagnosed with bone cancer and is undergoing treatment. Uh, Harley and his family are trying to stay positive during this difficult time, and both Wooden and Quedgley Wanderers are doing what they can to raise money for the family including a sponsored bike ride amongst other events. So please give whatever you can to support this great cause. And we're all rooting for you, Harley. Stay positive and any help would be appreciated. Just go to justgiving.com and look for Widden Harley. I've got another shout out to Andy Dawling. He's the Saracens Academy coach and ex-army. He's walking around Wales to raise awareness for mental health and supporting three charities. SAS Regimental Association, Welsh Rugby Charitable Trust and Restart. So you can follow his journey on Wolfpack Pilgrimage. Yeah, good luck, Andy. Uh, and a massive shout out as well to Dartmouth RFC for winning the Papa John's Cup on Saturday. Get the pizza in, boys, when the Papa John's boys are winning the trophies. Up the mighty pig dogs. That's what they're called, the Dartmouth Pig Dogs. And also a big shout out to Staffordshire under-20s who beat Knott's Lynx and Derbyshire in the regional final of the Jason Leonard Cup. Now, if you know about Jason Leonard, there is a monster nutsack. So I hope you got your nutsacks out. That ain't fitting in the cup, I can tell you that. <laughs> right, last one for me. A big shout out to Jamie Ray. It's been his first full season coaching the Leicester Forest Colts as head coach. And they won the double, the County Cup and the league. So a big shout out to you, Jamie, and your team at Leicester Forest Colts. Yeah, and lastly for me, a huge shout out to the Navy Rugby Boys who brought home the first ever national championship for the US Naval Academy. We mentioned it the other week. Gav Hickey, our old teammate, head coach, done exceptionally well. And on top of that, the Navy beat the Army over here as well. So great times for Navy rugby across the world. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Producer Robin. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod. (laughs) 